1: There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting, too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space, imagine. Silent forever. The Penis Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost. Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated. A not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe Windless. If you want to know any more information about the Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to Prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So Prost to you. My home. So stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all.
0: Welcome to The Penis Project. Today, we are speaking to Dr. LaBianca. And I said it wrong again, did I? No. No? Oh, I said it correct. (laughs) So, we're going to keep that in and you can all listen to me saying that. So, Shane, tell us about what you do. You're a urologist and you're you're the director also, aren't you, of Perth Urology? I'm one of them. One of the directors? That's right. So, tell us a little bit about what you do.
2: Uh, Well, if you ask my friends, I'm the dick doc, Mm -hmm. but... Most of the time, I actually see patients with bladder cancer and a lot of patients with prostate cancer and men with erectile dysfunction.
0: Okay. And so the thing I really wanted to talk to you about today was Peyronie's disease Mm -hmm. because you um, spend a lot of time looking after people with Peyronie's disease. Mm -hmm. And from what I can gather, you do some things that are kind of different to other surgeons in that area.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um... Some of some of the patients I see tend to have quite severe Peyronie's and I think uh, one of the tendencies um, is for diseases like Peyronie's that uh, tend to get sort of pushed aside by GPs because they don't know much about it and they kind of don't discuss it with patients and therefore patients kind of present quite late.
0: Yeah. So tell us then exactly in layman's terms what Peyronie's disease is.
2: Uh, Peyronie's disease is an abnormal scarring process within the penis. So Mm -hmm. if you've got uh, a normal man's penis, it will have a sort of two cylinders essentially that fill up with blood and the structure of those two cylinders is a a very strong but very flexible casing Mm -hmm. that provides the shape of the penis. And most men will have either a straight or a slightly curved penis generally curved upwards anything up to maybe 20 degrees is kind of like a natural curvature but anything more than sort of 30 degrees particularly if it's an acute angulation is an abnormal curvature that may have an impact on function and the reason why it occurs is because there's not a symmetrical expansion of the penile structure yep. so you get scarring on one aspect which then causes a deviation towards that side
0: and what down what would, up uh, left right I always say to patients if they've got like an upward curve and they're heterosexual, it's a bonus. Anything else is not necessarily great. Correct, depending
2: <laughs> on the place you're putting it, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, tell what what are the reasons that a man might get scarring inside their
2: penis? Yeah, we don't really know, but the theories are that it's primarily trauma in somebody who's susceptible to abnormal fibrous tissue deposition. So. There's a correlation between Peyronie's disease and Jupitron's contractions of the hand and also plantar fasciitis and that sort of thing where you've got abnormal loss, sorry, you've got abnormal deposition of fibrous tissue and loss of the normal flexibility of, of what is generally an extremely um, strong but very flexible structure. So yep. in your hand, for example, you've got your tendon sheath, which has to be really strong to prevent bowstringing of your tendons in your hand. So when you clench your hand. Yeah. But it has to also be very flexible to allow the tendon to run smoothly. Mm. The plantar fascia is a very similar sort of thing to, to keep the arch of the foot elevated yeah. um, but allow flexibility to allow the foot to move. Yeah. And in the penis, you've got a structure that has to be essentially two rigid cylinders when the penis is erect but flexible enough so that uh, it can become flaccid yes. and be put away because <laughs> you don't want to have it standing out at attention all the time. No. Uh, And the abnormality we think arises from trauma that probably occurs during sexual activity that leads to an inflammatory process that then progresses beyond the normal inflammatory process healing and soft scar formation. So you get a hard scar. The hard scar then is inflexible and rigid and therefore you get curvature.
0: Sure. And it's my understanding as well that the sooner guys go and get help about this, the better. Is that correct?
2: Yep. So... Some men with Peyronie's disease will present with a prodromal sort of phase where they've got pain, but they don't have any curvature. Mm-hmm. So they'll kind of say, oh, yeah, I started getting painful erections and uh, it was really sore. It was like one spot was really tender. And then when I didn't have an erection, it would go away. Some men have pain even when they don't have an erection. Mm-hmm. And then it progresses from there in a percentage of men to deposition of fibrous tissue and scar formation. And then the pain often will go away and you're left with a scar tissue. And as the scar tissue matures and contracts, it shortens and therefore you get curvature. Yeah. So whilst not every bloke who gets a sore penis should be going to the doctor to say, I think I've got Peyronie's disease, the vast majority of men, when they first start to notice a curvature, have had that in the past and therefore they should be talking to their GP about, you know, what's going on? Why is my penis getting bent? Why is mm-hmm. my penis looking shorter? Uh, why is it painful to have sex? Yeah, and then that discussion can be had so that they can see someone who can start them on some treatment. Yeah, exactly. And they don't have to see a specialist to start the treatment. There are a number of treatments out there. Um, it's just that a lot of GPs don't cons- even consider this sort of thing. It's a bit like vaginismus in women. Yeah. A woman complains about painful sex, and the GP says, "I'll send you to a gynecologist." Yeah. Or well, they may actually not need that. They might actually need someone to have a look at them. Yeah. Um, but that's unfortunately the way the business is run.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think also the problem for GPs is that they've got 10 minutes often for an appointment and how do you get to all that? It's easier to write a referral than it is to inspect it. And also you've got to be a jack of all trades and not necessarily know what you're looking for. Yeah that's difficult. So when you're diagnosing Peyronie's, like how would you diagnose that? What's your first thing that you would do?
2: So history is pretty important because most of the time patients will tell you that they've had um, erectile problems for some time. Mm-hmm. And you can often put together a picture of a gradual decline in erectile rigidity, an episode of trauma during sex when they might have um, inadvertently pulled out and tried to go back in and then buckled and yep. then had a painful event, not necessarily a rupture or a fracture of their penis, although that is actually one of the causes of it, but that doesn't always happen. And some guys don't even remember injuring it. Mm. They just they just tell you, oh yeah, it's not been as, as hard and it's a bit softer. Yeah. Um so there's that aspect to it. Then there's the other aspects of their history which is more general in terms of their smoking history, their diabetes history, their cardiovascular background. So the kind of guys that we see who are most at risk are the guys who are getting older in their 40s and 50s, smokers with early diabetes who may be on antihypertensives and therefore have problems with erections Mm -hmm. and are having sex with a penis that's not rigid and therefore putting themselves at risk of injuring the the structure of the penis that is designed to be used when rigid, not when flaccid.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, And so also then that brings me to the point of, you know, when you're a young guy, you wake mm. up and you have morning wood or Mm. morning glory, whatever Mm. you like to call it. And then as you get older, often that goes off. Mm-hmm. And so that lack of nocturnal erections at nighttime and mm-hmm. that lack of stretching, that can result in um, scar tissue as well or is that not true?
2: Probably not, but it's probably not lead to the process, but it is concurrent. In other words, as guys get older and they become at risk of erectile dysfunction and, and Peyronie's, they're probably having this reduction in nocturnal erections and that's multifactorial mm-hmm. and it's probably a combination of sleep Issues such as sleep apnea, um, medications such as mm. antihypertensives, um, cardiovascular disease, which is really common, pre-diabetes, hormonal changes that we know occur in older men, mm-hmm. um, stress and poor sleep as a result. So the normal five, six cycles of erections that you get with your REM activity yeah. don't occur, which mm. means your penis isn't stretching, which means it's not exercising. Yeah. And then if you're not having sex except for once a week, once a month, once a year, your penis is basically not being used, used, which means that any injury doesn't sort of resolve with the natural physiological stretching process that should be occurring. So that's why things like... You know, recommending pumps and stretching devices are really important if you're going to treat Peyronie's because that's exercising the penis in someone who may not actually be having regular penile exercise because they're not having sex or because they're not getting nocturnal erections.
0: Yeah, exactly. I always um, joke that, you know, God is definitely a man because mm. the penis and the clitoris are the only parts of our body that exercise on their own when yeah, we're healthy. That's so right. Yeah. It, that's kind of puts that whole argument to bed, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, back to the um, Duptrons mm. contractures, just for anyone who's listening that's wondering what on earth that is, that's like if you know that people who have got trigger fingers, that's what that looks like. Yep. And you can also get a thing called Liederhausen, which is the same in your feet. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. So, if you've got those things, you're predisposed, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, plantar
2: fasciitis to? in your feet. Yeah. yeah. Which is usually more of a painful um, sole of the foot. Um, problem associated with spurs and things like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So first line, what's the first line treatment? Once they've been diagnosed, what would you do? Uh,
2: the first thing that I say to patients is they've got to exercise their penis, which is done pharmacologically and physically. So what that means is essentially medications to stimulate the erectile pathways, mm-hmm. such as PDE5 inhibitors, Cialis, Viagra, um, Spedra, uh, if they're not getting regular sex, then in conjunction uh, with that physical mechanism such as penile stretching devices and vacuum pumps. Yeah. But in addition to the Viagra type drugs, the other thing I always prescribe is um, Trental, which is a vasodilator that's used in patients with peripheral vascular disease, mm-hmm. uh, which is also a PD5 inhibitor. And there's a couple of supplements that I recommend that just act in uh, a sort of a... An adjunctive way with those drugs, uh, namely arginine, which also acts on the same pathways, nitric oxide, um, acetyl carnitine, which is an antioxidant, and I always give them curcumin because it's got some good anti-inflammatory effects and it's uh, reasonably easy to take. And they kind of get an idea that they're they're maximally treating their problem pharmacologically. Yes. Yep. And then combining with that vacuum device twice a day for five to ten minutes to actively stretch their penis.
0: And so what sort of regime with the vacuum device? Because there's all lots of different ones you read about. So there's up and down 20 times quickly. and yeah. there's So what sort of regime or do you think it doesn't um, matter?
2: I think time under tension is probably the most important thing. So they can put it, if they can pump it up for five or 10 minutes and leave it there pumped up under vacuum for five or 10 minutes twice a day, that's probably fine. Um, Mm. If they can do it more often, even better. Um, There's some devices that are used wet, like the bathmate, Mm -hmm. um, which um, are sort of more of a pumping action that you get length and then retraction and length and retraction. You can't keep it up all the time. Um, It probably doesn't matter to a great extent. So long as you're, because you're not stretching the plaque, the scar itself won't stretch much because it's fibrotic. So Mm. you can't, it's just a knot of collagen. So the thing that probably is stretching is the naturally healthier tissues around the plaque. And if you can stretch those, then you can probably regain a little bit of length, which they always lose. Mm -hmm. And you can then overcome the scar itself that might be contributing to the curvature. And the curvature may not be as much of a problem. And if a guy's got a a 50 degree curvature and his penis is only 10 centimetres long when it's erect, Yeah, that's far greater an impact than someone whose penis is 15 centimetres long and they've got a 50 degree curvature simply because of the extra shaft length and that sort of thing.
0: Mm. And actually having Peyronie's isn't a problem unless it's interfering with your functionality, is it? Yeah, absolutely.
2: So I, as much as I treat patients, when they say, well, what else can I do if this doesn't work? And I say, well, that's when we're getting into the discussion as to what it's actually doing, how much it's bothering you. If it's painful, then you want to treat it and sometimes you have to stabilise the disease to actually get the pain under control. Mm -hmm. If it's just causing a cosmetic problem but your partner's not bothered by it and it's not causing pain for either of you and you can both orgasm and and you can ejaculate and it's not interfering with the way it functions, the fact that it looks weird is just the way it is. Yes, it's it's cosmetic otherwise Mm -hmm. Um, and you wouldn't do a cosmetic procedure Uh, to fix something if the consequence of that cosmetic procedure was an alteration in function. Yes. So I would say to them, the primary goal is to restore function. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a functional deficit, then you don't need an operation Mm -hmm. or any form of intervention other than something that is passive and less likely to cause damage. And medications are not going to cause damage. PDE5 inhibitors don't have any side effects other than the sort of tolerance of the drug effect you know the mm, you headache know, bit of a headache the reflux that sort of thing but mm-hmm. most of the side effects resolve once you've stopped it um, the supplements as far as we know don't have any side effects it p- perhaps they cause a little bit of vasoactive reaction in sinuses and stuff like that but that's because they have an effect on blood vessels mm-hmm. um, and and the vacuum pump itself you know unless you use it for an hour or two a day mm-hmm. you're not going to have any major problems apart from bruising perhaps yeah um, so you know those things are fine but surgical interventions can have negative consequences on the on the actual erectile performance of the penis, in which case I say to them, unless you actually can't have sex, then don't do it. Why don't do an operation. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if they did so I've seen, you know, quite a few guys that have done the, you know, all the supplements and everything and then mm. they've used a pump and they've actually done really well and yep. things have so the plan is, you know, it sounds really weird when I tell patients, please take a photo of it and um, keep it or, you know, email it to me and I put it in my notes and then we look at it again because often the changes are subtle and you don't notice it. So it's good to look a few months apart. But let's say they do three to six months of this and then there's no change and they do, it is functionally inhibiting. They come back and see you. What are their options from a surgical?
2: Yeah. So I usually say to them, it's three to six months of conservative therapy with medication and pumps to try and see if that'll make a difference. And if they come back after that and say, "Nah, it's not working, curvature's so bad that I can't have sex, and then it's surgery. And the, the options really with surgery depend on the severity of the curvature and the degree to which the um, plaque itself, the Peyronie's plaque, is uh, altering the shape of the penis. Mm-hmm. So not everyone has a curvature. Some men have like a uh, a notching of the penis. They'll have like a narrow segment especially if they've got septal plaque, which prevents both cylinders from expanding. Mm -hmm. So they'll have a narrow segment and then beyond that, it might be normal or it could be flaccid. Mm -hmm. That's a real problem. So it sort of looks like
0: a wine glass.
2: Looks like a wine glass, yeah. Yeah. Either reverse or upside, whatever, which way it goes. Uh, Some men have ventral curvature, some men have dorsal curvature, lateral, etc. So simple procedures are things like a Nesbitt's plication, where you essentially are shortening the long sides, Mm-hmm. And that's okay if they haven't got really bad shortening and they've already lost a lot of length
0: Yeah.
2: because inevitably if you do a Nesbitt's procedure and you shorten the long side, they're going to get a little bit of length loss. It will be apparent more so than real because if you think about it, they've already lost a lot of length with their curvature, um, but it'll look shorter because it's straight and short Yes. as opposed to curved and functionally short. So that's that's a problem with that. So, so a
0: Nesbit's procedure—that's when you put a few sutures in the opposite side. A few sutures side. in the
2: opposite side, and it plicates it just like pleating yep. Uh, fabric. Yep. Um, and by pleating it, you essentially straighten it back to to horis- uh, to, to straight again. And you can achieve even with a ninety-degree curvature, you can get really good straightening with that. Okay. But the problem is the length. So you, if you're going to do it in someone who luckily hasn't lost much length, you can do a, a straightening mm-hmm. for a really bad curvature. But in guys who've lost a lot of length, then they, they're limited from that perspective. And then you've got to look at whether or not you do a graft incision, sorry, a plaque incision or whether you do uh, plaque excision and grafting and that sort of thing, which become more complex depending on where it is. Yeah. Ventrally, you have to mobilize a urethra to graft a ventral placation. So there's a risk of injury to the urethra dorsally, you have to gra- have to lift off the neurovascular bundle. So there's a risk of injury to the nerves, which means numbness and potentially loss of sensation in the head of the penis. Yeah. These are all things you have to discuss with the patients and that's why they have to be really prepared for the surgical consequences and compare that with the disease impact right yeah. at the start.
0: It's like everything, isn't it? It's like weighing yeah. up, yeah. like what's the better of two evils?
2: Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. And, and you're, doing it, you're doing a traumatic procedure for a functional benefit. Yes. And you hope the trauma of the procedure is less than the the, the impact of the... Long term. The, the disease. That's and
0: right. so what about, like if you did have, for instance, one of these surgeries, like mm. a Nesbit? Mm. how long would it be before you were back being able to use it again? Is um, there much downtime? Probably
2: about four weeks. Okay. Between when you do it and the scars have sort of settled enough. Because if you think about it, if you straighten the penis to a point where it's now rigid along its axis, mm-hmm. it's going to be strong enough to withstand the pressure of penetration.
0: Yes, okay.
2: So it's the curvature that causes the uh, cylinders to want to buckle. Yes. Whereas okay. if you put pressure along the length, at the sorry, at the end along the length and it's straight, it should maintain that because it's technically strong enough. Yes. Um, and that's why they need to have good erectile function. Mm. There's no point fixing their curvature if their erections are soft. Because all that's going to happen is they're going to buckle their penis again. Mm -hmm. And when they buckle it, they're going to traumatise it and the same process will start over.
0: So what happens if someone's using like injectable therapies for erections and then they develop Peyronie? So can they get that fixed and then still use injections or is that not a good option?
2: Yeah, it's a problem because if they've developed it after injection therapy, then they've obviously got that tendency Yes. Now, we don't know why some do and some don't. You know, you've got guys who are diabetic who've been using injections for 10 years and it's never been a problem. Mm. Then you've got other guys who use their injection once and they get a plaque. Yes. So it's probably due to technique and where they've placed the injection Mm. um, and the degree to which they've traumatised the tunica. Yeah. And um, and, And the tunica's not just one layer. There's multiple layers. So the plaques seem to occur within the tunica. Okay. So you'll have like that layer of the tunica that is next to the vascular tissue of the erectile space mm-hmm. and then you'll have that layer of tunica that's next to the nerve bundle okay. and sometimes the plaque's in between
0: Right,
2: and at other times it's more on the inside yeah towards the neuron so there's a range of different places where the plaques occur and i think um, the trauma of injecting in some individuals is just enough to stimulate the process
0: yeah and yeah. i also think like when they use an auto-injector, it seems better because they're not so hesitant, so it goes in fast. It
2: goes yeah. in fast and it goes where it's supposed to go because exactly. it's got a fixed distance, yeah. 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 So okay. I think um, – yeah, so auto-injectors are, are, are good from that perspective and it just depends on the individual. Some patients find them a bit bulkier yeah. because they're larger. Mm. They prefer to use the needles. Patients who are diabetic are used to using insulin needles. Yeah. So for them, it's really easy. They just draw it up and they just jab it in. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's – um. Uh, it's a difficult one because I think if someone's developed Peyronie's from injection therapy, it's a hard sell to get them to keep using it if they get better because they'll go, what happens if it happens again? And of course, if it happens in a different area, then it might give them the old snake, the sort of, you know, the snaky penis, which is where it's on one side and then further along, it's on the other side. And they've got this wonky penis, which doesn't look good No, and sometimes doesn't work very well either.
0: So So. in that, instance really they'd be better off just to go straight for an implant wouldn't they yeah Yeah. yeah. so tell us about that
2: so there 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 is a group of men where their their disease is either so unstable and i've seen this a couple of times in young guys with inflammatory peyronis where in the space of the time between one visit and the next they develop new plaque Mm -hmm. um immature plaque in different areas. And as a result, their penis is changing in shape all the time. And I had one guy who was in his mid-20s who had this, and the only thing that really stopped that was a penile implant because it stabilised his um, corporal tissues so that they were always at the right length when they were erect with the pump. Um, So I think for those guys that are unstable, then they are the ones that probably need an implant. And the other guys are, um, are the ones whose erectile function is on the decline where you know, you can fix their curvature, but it's not going to help the basic problem. No. And then you're better off to say, right, well, let's try and straighten it, cut out a scar, graft it, put in an implant,
1: mm. and then the
2: implant acts as a splint. And it then shapes the penis the way you want it. Yeah. And I did, I did a chap just yesterday, which is a very similar situation, whereby he had quite a significant curvature in association with ED so his implant went in. He still had a curvature. So all we did is we used the implant as the oh. the structure yep. and we divided the corpora and released everything to give it the shape we wanted, right. knowing that the cylinders would just maintain the shape.
0: So he's going to be happy. He's going to yeah. wake up with a straight, Relatively straight penis. Relatively straight functioning
2: penis, exactly, yeah. It's yeah. admittedly going to be an artificial function in terms of the pump, but it'll be straighter mm. and, um, yeah, it'll be basically able to work like normal
0: and the guys we've spoken to who have got the implants say mm. that they feel pretty good really yeah.
2: they feel they feel uh, you've always got to remember that they feel as good as they do today compared to what i remember yes it felt like 20 years ago or 10 years ago yeah and that's one of the problems guys are remembering what they think it was yes and the same with length and mm. appearance mm-hmm. length being the critical one hence the photographs are so important yes. because otherwise oh. they go this was definitely longer yeah. You know, or the doctor did something and my penis has shrunk and it's like, well, you know, physiologically there's no way it could shrink from a cystoscopy. No. For example, yep. and yet that's what they're fixated on. So uh, it's it's important because you have got to manage their expectations.
0: Yeah, it's a bit like yeah. when you catch a fish, isn't it? And it was way bigger than you yeah, actually right. thought it yeah, was. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it gets bigger <laughs> <the> <laughs> every lo- time the you, tell you tell the, the story. story. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so photographs are really important from that perspective and um and yeah, restoring them back to a, a functional shape, which yeah. is essentially what they want.
0: And psychologically, I imagine that you would see a lot of guys who are really sad about mm. Peyronie's and mm. how it affects them.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's pretty deep, you know, for most of these guys. They haven't talked to anyone about it because they can't talk to their mates because they're embarrassed. They don't want to talk to their partner because they think they're disappointing them and they're not performing as a bloke should. Yeah. The GP can't help because the GPs don't know enough about it to offer them support, and they don't have the time. So they come to see you, and they've often delayed coming to see you, and all of a sudden they've got this problem, and you're going, "Yeah, well, it's you know, it's a bit late now. I can't actually reverse the process. I can fix it, but this is what it's going to require." Yeah. And and sometimes that first conversation is, "Yeah, we could try this. We could try that. but You probably need a penile implant." Yeah. Because you've got to a point where to fix it to make it straight you need an implant to prevent it from just relapsing back the way it used to be.
0: So what about guys who haven't had a relationship for, you know, quite a long time? Yeah. They've developed peronies, they've, you know, let it go and then suddenly they meet the love of their life and yeah. they're like, you know what, I do want it to work again and it's been five, ten years. Yeah. Is it too late? No,
2: nah, I don't think it's too late to get them started on medications. I think... um uh, using a, uh, the vacuum pumps and using tablets and supplements is probably still a good idea. And you give it three to six months and see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's probably a good test for their relationship in terms of whether she or he'll put up with the the, the yep. time that it takes. And if if so, and there's no improvement, as long as you give them what the options are down the track and rather than just saying to them, well, this is all you can do kind of thing. Mm. Um, most of them will, will at least try it because they've got that bit of hope that maybe they can avoid something more yep. invasive. But they know at the same time that that's an option if it doesn't work and they can have uh, uh, an implant put in you yep. know, down the track.
0: So it's never and too late for that. No, option. not really.
2: And I've seen a lot of patients, especially after prostate cancer, guys who in those first – and even bladder cancer because I see a lot of that. So guys who say when you first talk to them about what's going to happen with their cancer and their treatment and they go, all I'm worried about is the continence. Mm. That's all I'm worried about. Uh, the erection's, nah, no, nah, we're okay. And the wife says, we're okay. And she's quite happy that they're not going to have sex. <laughs> and – and then they see you two years, three years, five years. Continence is great. Yeah, cancer's gone, and PSA hasn't come back, or their bladder cancer hasn't come back. And they go, "Yeah, well, lately, you know, yeah, kind of been missing it." Yeah. And and I think it's just taken them time to get over that shock of the disease and the the trauma of the process. And then life's good, yep. but there's this bit that's missing. Yeah. Exactly. And they want something done about it. Yeah, and I, I don't see. think that's unreasonable. Mm. That's why I think when I'm talking to my patients with bladder cancer and prostate cancer, every time I see them, I'm always asking them about their continence and their erections. Mm. And if they tell me the erections are not an issue, I say to them, yeah, but you probably should be trying to keep things ticking over. You know, you should be on something just to keep the juices flowing, so to speak.
0: Yeah, just to keep yeah. your options open. Yeah,
2: because otherwise, yeah, they come back and go, gosh, you shrank like 50%. You go, well, I kind of told you that was going to happen, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I
0: see couples all the time and I think often that say exactly that, oh, we only want to get rid of the cancer and continent and if we get our erections back, that's a bonus. Yeah. But then months down the track, it's a different story. And I think often the women just say to their ...male partner, I don't care... ...because Mm. they don't want them to feel pressured. But then it has the adverse effect of the guy thinking she's relieved... ...and you know, it's just so much easier... ...if we can all have an open conversation about it. Yeah, so
2: she, she says she's not interested. He goes, she's not interested. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like... Actually, both of us were, but we didn't want to say say it. <laughs> to the other. You know, the woman doesn't want to put the guy under
0: pressure, or yeah. the, if it's a homosexual relationship, the uh, you know the male partner who's not got the problem doesn't want to put his partner under pressure, so yeah. he says, "No, I don't care." Yeah. And then the other one is like, "Oh well, they don't care, so I won't better not care either." Yeah. And then really, they both care, but no one mm. wants to open the conversation.
2: Mm. So, so, yeah, it's, yeah. So, and all of that in a, you know, 15-minute cons- consultation. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. And then we
0: wonder why the poor old GP can't get it done. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's so. impossible. Well, have you got anything else that we haven't covered about Peyronie's today? Uh,
2: yeah, there's one thing that we haven't covered and that's um, probably uh, talking about um, the question that often comes up is lengthening, you know, yes. lengthening procedures. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't. I don't say to patients that I can't make it longer. Mm-hmm. But what I do say to them is that, unfortunately, once you've had some shortening, it's very difficult to go back to where you were. Yeah. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that often we don't remember how long we were. Yeah. We were longer, but you can never remember how long. So the only thing we can do in terms of lengthening is maximize what you have now mm-hmm. by doing what we can do. Because a lot of men ask, well, can't you just cut it and stretch it? And you go, well, you can do that, but then there's this major risk of Function. vascular issues and loss of sensation and and all these sorts of things. Um, the closest thing that I get to lengthening now is doing sort of a, you know, that releasing procedure, but over an implant, because okay. you can't do it without. Yeah. So in the end, their apparent length increases when they have an implant, because their penis is always stretch length. Yes. So for them that's great, especially if they're one of those guys where it tended to get shorter when it was flaccid and larger when it was longer.
0: Yeah, so they're now a shower always instead of a grower. Yeah, exactly.
2: So that's psychologically a way of doing it. But, yeah, the reality is that um, the only way that you can make your penis longer if you're going to do it is through using stretching devices Mm -hmm. or using a penile pump for, you know, probably – three to four hours a day you know if you're mm. gonna if you're gonna do it that much you will eventually get tissue expansion
0: yeah you it's know what a I mean? pretty big commitment though, but isn't you know it?
2: most people won't do that unless they're being paid to do it No, and yeah. the heads up
0: for <laughs> all you men out there most women genuinely do not care about <laughs> yeah. thanks it's it's a fallacy yeah. we don't care it's only good to show in the locker room I that's think. right yeah yeah
2: yeah so and the other thing too is that a lot of these patients uh from a general health perspective because of the population I deal with, they have other health issues including obesity, including diabetes, etc. So for some of them, length is actually more of a function of body habitus and their weight. Yes. And so losing weight is so critical because Mm. if they can lose some of that fatty tissue around the scrotum and around the pubic area, their penis starts to look longer. Yeah. And they don't like to hear it because everyone just says – you know, you've got to lose weight. Mm. But the thing is that what's the downside? Yeah. You, you lose weight, you get healthier, you're less at risk of dying of heart disease and diabetes... And you get a longer penis. I, know. I mean so
0: there's an amazing statistic actually where mm. they actually did this research study, you may have read it, where for every sixteen kilos a man loses when he's overweight, mm-hmm. he gains a one centimeter back of his original length. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty impressive, yeah. you know. Yeah, like it is. I reckon if we told people that they mm. might actually lose weight.
2: Yeah. And that pubic fat is the hardest to shift. Yes. Because it, once it's there it kind of sits there. Um mm. but yeah, no, if you if you lose weight it, it looks different. Yeah. Yeah, so
0: Mm, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Shane, for talking to me today. It's okay. I really appreciate Pleasure. it. That's great. Thanks nice. a lot. Cool. See
1: you. warm afternoons, campfires and bugs, and bark in a cubby up a tree. Hi, this is Dr. Joey. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts not fortnightly as originally proposed and this is because of the popularity of our podcast we're getting so many emails so many questions and so much feedback and melissa and i greatly appreciate it what we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit including any man in your life simply download off spotify or subscribe to the penis project and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that Prost, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday Bloat. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going, going down of the sun. We're just having too much fun. And women history